worship team. If you're joining us online today, just want to say welcome. I sometimes fail to acknowledge that you are in the room with us, and we love that. Thank you, uh, Blake, for reminding us of so much truth. I was uh, reminded anew of this truth that, did you know that, that right now you are a living, walking miracle? Like it, and God is the miracle worker. Literally, literally right now, think about it. He is holding us up with his hands. And we would not be breathing this air that we breathe without his hand, his miraculous hand sustaining us and giving us life and this world to live in. Like, we take that for granted. And it's fresh to me. Last year I dealt with cancer, many of you guys know. And I just got some results back not long ago that my cancer markers are are not there, so it means I, I am cancer-free eight months later. So, like, that's a miracle. Like, And I've shared that story. It is a story of God's handiwork. And he is a God that continues to work miracles. And honestly, I hope in this moment that in my weakness he is made strong. And he works a miracle in your life through his word. I really do. I, I, I was... Uh, this week, we went to an Empower, it's called the Empower Conference. It's an evangelism conference just to remind us of why we're here. We talked about it last Sunday, that, that it's all about the Great Commission, and we have this incredible mission that is so big, and we have such a big God, and it's such a simple thing that we're here to share the hope of Jesus and multiply that. And we talked about it last week, but then we went to this conference, and I was reminded at this conference of another conference I went to last year when a guy shared a statement his name is Nathan Lino. He's a pastor here in the Houston area. And he says this, I want you to think about it. It's really a, a, a reminder for me. This is true uh, of, of our church and my heart for what this, where this church is going. And so many of you share this heart. It's also true of Peter as he shares his heart in 2 Peter chapter 3, which is where we're going to pick up today if you want to grab your Bible. But listen to what Nathan said. If God is not moving... Our programs don't matter. If God is moving, the programs still don't matter. And he says the presence of God is all that matters. Listen, that is the heart of what Peter has been teaching all along in Second Peter. Is don't get lost in the things of church without experiencing the author of the church, that is Jesus Christ. I want to read that one more time because I really, this is an identity thing for us now and, and as we move forward because we will be offering more things and offering, you know, we're launching some new ministries in the coming days and, and God only knows where he's taking us in the future, uh, but there's going to be some addition of things, but let us not forget that those things will never be sacred, only Jesus is. I'll read it one more time. Thank you, Jose. You're the man. I'll take it. If God is not moving, our programs don't matter. If God is moving, the programs still don't matter. Because what matters is Jesus Christ. And that's really what Peter has been saying, if I were to remind you, that this is Jesus is not something you add to your life, that Jesus is life. We sang that just a little bit ago. I, I think we miss sometimes how much truth we really sing. These are not only new songs, they're new songs that are rooted in Scripture. And we got to sing some old songs, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I mean, that's got to, for those who grew up singing that, like that, that does something for me. Because I grew up singing that song. And, 
And, but great is thy faithfulness. Where we find that? We find that in God's word. But let us not forget what Peter has been teaching us, that, that Jesus is life. And he has given us everything in chapter 1. He says, everything that we need to experience that abundant life and to walk in faithfulness. God has given us everything we need. And then Peter goes on to say to strive for some things. Strive specifically, strive to know Jesus. That's what he says. Strive to know him. Strive to know him more. And strive to produce the fruit that that is in knowing him and seeking him. Don't produce the fruit. The root of the fruit is in Christ. He is the root of the fruit. So seek him. Know him. So there's abundant life. And that's why we've said this idea of experience the abundant life is the the life of a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, which is all in. There's no such thing as a part-time disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a life-transforming, all-consuming identity transformation when we went from death to life. Peter has been teaching us this, that we have everything we need to strive to know Jesus and to also strive to know you are in him, that there is such hope and power in knowing with assurance that you are in Christ. And how do we do that? We search through His Word, which is our greatest treasure. I'll give you all another opportunity. Ah, I knew it was coming. It was delayed. Some of you guys are new. You don't get that. About a month ago, we, we covered the passage in chapter 1 where Peter's saying, hey, this is such a rich, vibrant, inerrant Word of God that has so much power. And we said that pirates are always seeking out treasure. So when I say treasure, then you say ark. So let's try it one more time. Treasure. Okay. You don't have to do that anymore. Okay. We got that. We got it. We can move on now. But if you want to, we can we can do it. It'll be our thing, I guess. Anytime we say that rich mound of lots of resources that, that we have, that this that we are opening in Second Peter, this is the most valuable, sacred thing we will ever hold in our hands. This is it. Can you imagine? I, I remember years ago I went to Beirut, Lebanon, and I went to the first evangelical church that, that I know of, that they know of in Beirut, Lebanon, and I got to preach there. This was a long time ago. And I went as I sat down. I went, and I went to sit my Bible down, and I could hear, a, no one was talking. And I stopped. And the guy beside me, my host, said, hey, don't do that. Why? Because they revere this so much. They would never even set it on the ground. We should think of it that way. And that is what we get to dive into and unpack today. In chapter 2, just to catch us up, Peter says, hey, watch out for the false teachers. So two things he said, beware of the false teachers that will drag you down, but also be cautious of going back to your old way of life, that you are a new creation. Don't go back to the old ways, okay? He said that in, in a variety of different ways in chapter 2. And so we pick up in chapter 3, well, Peter is really closing his letter to the early church. He's writing in the 60s A.D. He's writing from prison, and he's 
basically writing his last will and testament to the early church. Like, hey, I've lived this life. God has been good. Despite who I am, he is good, and he's done great things. I haven't. But here's some things I want you to remember. Don't do these things. Do these things. That's really what we're reading in Second Peter chapter 2. Once heard a story of a woman who worked for the Internal Revenue Service, which is coming up, tax time. I've got to work on mine today. If I get it done today, I get a $30 rebate. So I'm like, i got to get it done. It's tax time. But there are some IRS agents that they have the difficult job of finding people who don't pay their taxes. So this particular lady was assigned to a man that lived in Alaska, and his address was very nebulous. So she began her journey on this occasion, to call Anchorage, Alaska, and try to find this man. The man was not to be found. And she finally ran across someone who said, hey, he, he lives over in the Aleutian Islands, but the problem is there's no Internet, there's no phone line in those islands, so you'll have to contact him by ham radio. So she worked that day to find someone with a ham radio. Well, they called this town in the Aleutian Islands, and And two hours later, the operator was finally able to, through the ham radio, contact this guy's home. And this guy was not home, unfortunately, because he was a fisherman. And he would spend several weeks offshore, and he would come back with his fish and spend onshore for a few weeks and then go back. He would do this constantly, and so he was nowhere to be found. And so through this, they used that ham radio finally to contact this gentleman, finally. And they connected this woman... And she introduced herself, hi, I'm from the IRS, I'm from Utah. And right after that, there was an incredibly long pause. And after that, he responded, ha ha, come and get me. If you guys are new, I tell jokes, and the jokes always have a purpose, but most of the time they're not funny. And that's okay, I'm okay with that. But listen, there's two things, two incredible truths that I want us to before we get to Second Peter chapter 3, for us to realize this, is that you can't escape the love of God. See, that man thought he could escape the law of man, the IRS. There's, there's a couple of things that you can't escape in the text today that as, we, as we unpack it. The first is this, you cannot escape the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is relentlessly pursuing us with a never-ending love. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Not because we are good, because He is good. He is good. Not because we are loving, but because He first loved us. Isn't that amazing? Even today, despite who you are, no matter what you've done, God, through Jesus, is pursuing you, saying, Hey, yeah, I still, I still love you. You still walk in my grace if you accept it. You still walk in my mercy because my mercies are new every day. This is true of us every time we wake up. It's true of us here as we sit in this room or if you're joining us all around the world. You can't escape the love of God, but there's a second thing you can't escape. You can't escape the judgment of God. And that's kind of something like, ooh, kind of a calm. No one amen that. That's a weighty one. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's read Second Peter chapter two verses chapter three, Second Peter verses one to ten. Dear friends, can you just hear Peter's such a pastor? He's just shepherding the early church. Dear friends, I'm gonna pour my heart out to you once again. This is now my second letter to you. 
I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you. That word stimulate is the word stir up. You know, you got to stir yourselves up to stir you up to wholesome thinking. Like, in other words, do these things. These are good. And that's what that's what Peter's been saying. Don't do these things. These are bad. It'll lead you the wrong way. Do these things. It'll lead you to life, and that is Jesus Christ and knowing him more. And I want you to recall. I want you to think and recall the words spoken in the past. I want you to recall what we hold in our hands, the scriptures, the inspired, inerrant word of God in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Verse 3, above all. So this is important, right? (laughs) Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And so what he's about to say is, hey, you need to know that there are going to be people who speak against what is really true. And that's what he's going to go on to say. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. What are they talking about? Jesus said he was coming again. You've got to realize that this is now 30-something years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So what they're saying, they were expecting Jesus to come back any day. Like, it's going to be today. They, 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 would, they would wait again. It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. And he hasn't come. It's been 30-something years. And so now they're doubting. Have you ever had doubts? Yes. Yes. And the doubt has turned to skepticism. And that's what it's talking about there. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. He's coming again. But he hasn't come. It's been so long. Ever since our ancestors died. Way back when. Looking back in the Old Testament, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, just saying, hey, we throw our hands up. We give up. Nothing changes in this world but they deliberately forget they chose they choose to forget that long ago by god's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed what's that talking about noah in the flood right that's what he's talking about there and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Verse 6, verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There it is. There it is. We can't escape the judgment of God. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Oh, thank God for his patience. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, there's a purpose for the pause. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, when he comes back to establish his eternal reign, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It will be completely destroyed. Today, as you grab your notes, I want to give you three specific things. So what's happening here is Peter is responding with, with three different things in response to the people who are skeptics. And my guess is, and I'm reading into it a little bit, I think some of the skeptics are the false teachers that he's talking about in chapter 2. Like they are intentionally 
fostering this skepticism within the early church that, hey, this is not right. This can't be right, but there's something better. You can go experience these things and be fulfilled. You can have more money. You can do these things of lust. You can do all of these things and have more power in these things, and you will be fulfilled. But all those things, as we've learned in Second Peter, are completely empty promises. None of those things fulfill, right? Only Jesus does. But I think that there's a huge amount in the early church that simply have doubts. I mean, we've been waiting, Jesus. You said you're coming back. Why not today? Why not today? You ever waited for a long time for something that you've wanted so badly? And it's gone on for days and weeks and months and years. That's what's happening here. And so I think there's a huge constituency that just have doubts. Like, is this really real? My prayer today is that God manifests himself to you anew and reminds you or tells you and teaches you that, yes, this really, really is true. That Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died a death for our sins and rose on the third day. And after that, he rose to the right hand of God, but he will come back. And that is what Peter really wants the early church to understand, because that reality puts everything into perspective. You see, we're not a worldly people. We are a kingdom people. And we're to have a different perspective than, than this world. So what's the first? Verses 5 to 7, we learn or are reminded of the power of God's spoken word. I want us to think about this just for a moment, to think that when God spoke, all of creation was created. Can you imagine that? Like, we, we know this. We've heard this. How many times in your life have you heard that? Do you realize how powerful a being has to be to do that. Have you ever met such a being? Only God. Only God could do that. Here's the truth. God did that, and it came to be. And here's what Peter's also saying. God's going to do that, and it's all going to go away. It is coming. God spoke the world into being, and he will speak it out of being. And here's what the false teachers were saying. They were saying a few things. They were, they were ignoring and leading people to ignore that the world was made by God and that its order hangs on his word, not on the word of philosophers, not on the word of scientists, not on the word of anybody else in this world. And if they were willing to think about this, they would realize that the course of natural events is no more locked into one pattern than God is. Because if God is free to speak a new word, then nature is free to change. You see, it all hinges on God. God does not hinge on the, the parameters of nature. He began and created nature, and he reserves the right to change it. And that he's done. And that's the second thing that they, they push on, is the false teachers ignore, they ignore the fact that, that things have not continued as they began. And that's why he throws in this idea of Noah and the flood. Hey, things were going, but they weren't going well. And so what did God do? Restart, right? That's what the flood was. Restart. That's, that's, that's what he's saying, that, that don't, don't real, realize this, that, that, that God is beyond any human construct that we could ever put together. He's so much bigger than those things. John Piper attempts, this is kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, but John Piper attempts through this passage to help us understand this. He says this, the laws of nature are the tireless whisperings of the Almighty. I love that. 
The laws of nature are the tireless whisperings of the Almighty. God just speaking it. He spoke it and it was. And he goes on to say this, and if he should choose to raise his voice, the cataclysm will come. When it, that's what he's saying. It's going to happen. God's going to speak again. We don't know when it is. Verse 10 is going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know what it is, but it is coming. So our world and the universe doesn't depend on physics and science. And yes, those are good. Those aren't bad things. I'm not preaching against those things. But God is beyond that. There's not this clock that, that, that happened to be spun back in the day, Big Bang or whatever, and one day it's going to spin out all by itself because it's going to run out of resources. No, God's going to speak again, and all the clock's going to stop. And, but he's got a plan. He's got a plan. So nature doesn't depend on nature. Nature depends on the word of God. That's what Second Peter's saying. Peter's saying, hey, keep it in perspective. And that leads to the second thing that we find in verse 8. We learn our context within God's context. Peter hears the skeptics and says, so much is rooted in, in being taught and fostered in the context of the things of this world. And so Peter responds, do not forget, verse 8, this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And so what he's saying is, hey, this God, just remember, he doesn't go by our rules. He lives in a different realm. In our context that we live in and that we work in and we build our families in, yes, God is among us, but God is beyond it as well. And that is the truth. I know you've heard the, the really bad preacher joke. There's a poor man speaking to God, just praying, man, I, I'm struggling. He said, God, is it true that, that a thousand years it is a minute to you? And, and God said, yes, of course. And he said, what about a, a million dollars like a penny to you? And God says, yes, that's true. And the man said, well, I'm really poor, God. Could you give me a penny? And God said, hey, yeah, in a minute. So, man, it comes right out of Scripture. If you didn't think that joke came from Scripture, it's right there in verse 8. We don't, we don't make these things. Uh, but you know what? Jesus himself realized this. I want to read John chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it. There's an incredible story of a man that was healed that was blind. It says this, as he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I'm, about to, I'm about to show you. I'm about to show you doubters. Here we go. And so he responded with a very interesting and profound statement that is exactly what Peter is saying. As long as it is day... We must do the works of him who sent me. His night is coming when no one can work. See, Jesus himself knew that he had a window of time. And God the Father had, had given him a window that would start here and end here. Jesus knew this. And, and Peter is knowing this. He's teaching us this, that, that our context within God's context is God is beyond time, but God has given us a specific time of beginning and he is also giving us a specific time of end. And Jesus know this, knows this. So, hey, night is coming. We don't know when it is. We don't know when it is. We never know when it is. But we must do the work while we can. And so he says this, verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm going to show you guys what darkness is. I'm going to show you what real light is and what life 
is, and after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And he says this, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which words, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home. And we know later on that this man, he was blind, but Jesus did something incredible, and all of a sudden he can see. You see, Peter, Jesus understood the context within the Father's context. And we live in that gap, if we could call it. That, you know what? June 28, 1980, I breathed my first year on this earth. Conceived nine months before that, fully alive. And you know what? My end of time could have been last year. I had cancer. I'm still alive. All by the grace of God, what a miracle. All by the grace of God. But you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But each of us has a bookmark, beginning and end. And that's what Peter's saying. Realize this, that, that God is holding time for you for the third thing. Why would he do that? Why would God hold time for us? And here we insert our mission. Here we realize that God has given us time as a church to accomplish the mission of God here on this earth. We are here for such a time as this to bring the hope and the life of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody that we possibly can. And so that is the third thing, the reason for his forbearance. Why is God so patient with us? Why? So that more and more people could experience Jesus Christ, hope in him. And isn't it ironic, I thought, as I thought about this, prayed about this passage, that here are these skeptics. The very reason the skeptics doubt the reality of God is the reality that God is choosing to give them an opportunity to know Him and to find life before He fulfills His perfect purpose. Did you get that? The very fascinating to me. That, that Peter is responding in God's word. He's responding with the help of the Holy Spirit. That, that what he's saying here is these guys who are skeptics, the reason why the time has not ended is for them. They doubt the reality of God, but they, what they don't know is the reality is that God's mercy and grace is holding out time to give them an opportunity to respond to the love and the grace and the life of Jesus Christ. And it's hard, though, when you're on the outside to truly understand. Because when you think about it, it seems if you didn't know the character of God, it would come across kind of callous. It would come across kind of harsh. Like there's this God that's judging. Well, yeah, there is. That's true. He is a loving God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. Yes, he's a merciful God. And that's really hard. If it, reality is if you don't understand the character of God, you'll never be able to understand the actions of God. Think about that. And that's what Peter's saying to the early church because they've been taught and they have experienced personally the character of God. So when they hear that Jesus is coming back, they're like, man, Jesus come today. I'm ready, right? But the other people who are skeptics are on the outside looking in. It's like, man, that's harsh. That's really tough. But the reality is underneath, there is the truth, the reality that what is happening because God is holding back time from ending, the reality is that is the most merciful and loving action that those skeptics will ever experience. And they just don't know it. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty heavy message. But here, 
I was reminded last week. So as we were coming back on Tuesday, we saw all these flags that were half-mast. Does anybody know why flags were half-mast on Tuesday? So 500,000 people by count, by our government's count, 500,000 people have lost life due to COVID. Isn't that crazy? We live in crazy times. So if studies are correct, about 80% of people in America don't have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to just let this settle in a little bit. What's 20% of 500,000? Somebody help me. Okay, so if the studies are true, and we don't know, we don't know where people are, it's for, not, not for us to know, only God knows people's heart and their relationship with him, okay? But if the study is anywhere close to true, that only 20% of people in America, I think that's probably on the high side, honestly, well, let's just say 20% of people, 100,000 people in the last year have died of COVID and gone home to their eternal home in heaven. But let it settle in that 400,000 people saw the final side of the bookend of their life. And they have no hope. They will spend eternity apart from God in a real place that no one would ever want to be a part of. Listen, I know that's a heavy statement, but that's a true statement. And that should break our heart. If that didn't break your heart, I don't know what would. People say that they use this term flippantly, that, that we need a revival. And let's be honest, we need a revival. But we don't need the kind of revival where you put a big tent, although there's nothing wrong with that. We may do that in the coming days because I love that, and have a crusade or a revival services and those things. What we need is God's people to have a hunger for the manifest presence of God among us. I said that quickly, but I mean that with all of my heart. What we need in the church globally and in our church, local church, for us to ever accomplish and be the people, the disciples, the church that God wants us to be, we can't do it without his manifest presence among us. And so what this passage does, it kind of gives us perspective to live out the mission that we're living in the bookends. And every single day we have a mission, an incredible mission. We get to walk in life and we get to share this life with others as many as we can so that we, they don't go to their eternal home like the 400,000. That they would go home like the 100,000 with hope and life eternal and that's a very judging thing but that's a very true thing this is a reality and this is the mission of the church uh, that we would be like second chronicles chapter 7 that if we humble ourselves and pray seek his face turn from our wicked ways he will meet with us and heal our land and I know you've heard that verse probably so many times lately. But that first part is so important. May we realize as we close this message, may we realize that, listen, we have a lot of things coming up. We're going to be doing a lot of things in the coming days. But it is completely worthless and inept without the manifest presence of God among us. And so if you are a believer today, I would ask that you would fervently pray for that. 
I would. Like, I'm, I'm just asking you every single day that, that God would do that in our community, not just this church. This is for a prayer for our community, that God would start something here that would radiate to all the world. And what an incredible opportunity that we would get to do that here and be a part of such a thing. Why? Because God has spoken. God has said to us through his word so many times that he loves us. God has spoken and said he he loves us just as we are. And he says, he's said over and over that he sent his son that we would have life. And God says, he's spoken that he wants you to have not only life, but abundant life, life eternal and life incredible here on this earth. Listen, God has spoken, but there is a follow-up question to that reality. What say you? What say you today? Have you ever responded to the reality and the truth that, that there is a bad news, good news situation for everybody in this world? Bad news is that we're all sinners and sin separates us from God. And because we're separated from God, we'll spend, we'll spend eternity in a really bad place called hell. It's a real place. But there's good news, my friends. God had a plan for God to love the world that he sent one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I don't know where you are with the Lord, but I would ask you right now, have you ever gone from death to life in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, God, today we, we should really talk. Can we do that? Would you be open to that just to have a conversation? Like, man, I just don't know if that's ever happened or I did it and I struggle with whether I really did it or, and I've never heard anything like this in my life. I want to know more. Well, if you do, take that connection card and just on the back, there's a place there that says, I want more information about eternal life or hope in Jesus Christ or I want to talk with the pastor. Circle that, star it. You do whatever, line it. Whatever, I will call you today. Or even better, hang out. I'm here, I'm yours. I'll be here as long as you need. I'd love to talk to you today on finding where life really comes from, and that's Jesus Christ. But listen, if you've done that in your life, there is a prompt for us here in these verses. How will we, the church, respond to this reality that Jesus is coming back? And God is holding back the very threshold of time so that we can do our work. Will I? Will you? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. We say collectively that you are our life. You've given us a life worth living with purpose and mission and hope and joy. And we say thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And thank you, Jesus, for what we get to do for you and your kingdom. God, would you find us faithful? And we pray, we get on our collective knees together and we say, God, would you reveal again, descend down again and bring your very manifest presence among us. We need that. without you we're lost 
like sheep without a shepherd. God, today we choose you. We're desperate for you. Would you fall fresh on us? We pray.